Theological education should be accessible. In the past, men have had to leave their local churches to train for the ministry. At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, you can now complete a seminary education while staying in your own church and being mentored by your own pastor. For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here. I have the privilege to have Jeremiah Griever on the podcast today, and we're going to be discussing the important topic of church discipline. So welcome to the podcast, Jeremiah. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It uh, is a privilege and honor to be here. So just to start off, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, So I am currently the senior pastor at uh, First Baptist Church of Sedalia in Sedalia, Missouri, which is about halfway between Kansas City and Jefferson City on the western side, kind of west central. Um, I grew up in St. Louis, so uh, part of the Missouri group. Um, went to seminary at Southern Seminary and got my MDiv there and currently working on my doctorate also through Southern Seminary, uh, on a doctorate of ministry. And I'm actually doing my doctorate on something that pertains pretty closely to what we're talking about today, I'm working on my doctorate over biblical counseling and church discipline. So uh, essentially how the nature of God's discipline within himself is tangibly expressed in the local church through um, both church discipline and and biblical counseling, how those intersect together practically. Uh, So I'm married to Sadie. We've been married for eight and a half years. We have a three and a half year old son named Judah, and we are 26 weeks pregnant uh, with a second child. Um, So a little girl that's going to be born, Lord willing, in, in June. So we are excitedly anticipating the Lord doing that. Also, uh, work for Founders Midwest. Um, I am one of the committee chairs with that. So uh, in St. Louis in February, we put together a conference, have great speakers, and so I help with that. And I also teach part-time for Missouri Baptist University, teaching Old Testament history and New Testament history. So that's a little bit about myself. Well, thank you for that. Um, We'll just go ahead and jump right into our topic, uh, church discipline. What do we mean whenever we say church discipline, and where do we find this idea in the scriptures? Yeah, so when we're talking about church discipline proper, we're we're essentially talking about um, the idea of the holiness of God being expressed in the church and being maintained or continued in the church. So, uh, just from a simple uh, simple explanation. Church discipline is uh, when sin has been committed, and here we're thinking of pretty much continual unrepentant sin, that it is approached uh, by the elders of the church uh, to the person, um, following some some steps that are outlined in Matthew 18, which we'll get to just here in a little bit. Um, and if that person, uh, the, the, the encouragement is to that person is to turn from their sin and to, uh, to come back to Christ and to, to be holy. And uh, if that does not happen in the life of a Christian, then um, then the church has to to decide if this person is actually truly in Christ. And if they are unrepentant in their sins, and 
and a declaration has to be made by the church that this person is is outside of Christ. So there's there's multiple steps that's uh, that's outlined in Matthew 18, for instance, to ask, you know, where is this in scripture? You know, one of the cardinal texts is Matthew 18, where Jesus talks about if a brother sins, that you should go to that person and confront that person. So here we're talking about uh, believers within the context of the local church. This is not for unbelievers. Paul would say in uh, 1 Corinthians, for what do I have to do with judging those outside of the church? But for those in the church, we, we must judge. We must hold them to the standards of our confession of faith. And so Jesus would continue in Matthew 18 that if, uh, that if the brother doesn't turn from their sin, then to take two or three witnesses and to go and again implore your brother or sister in Christ to turn from their sin. And then if this does not happen, if they still continue in unrepentant sin, to then take them before the church and admonish them. And if they still do not, then to, to remove them from the body of Christ. Um, we have this very tangibly demonstrated, which is so helpful for us. We have the commands of Christ in, in Matthew 18, but then we have it uh, expressed in the letters to the church at Corinth. So in 1 Corinthians 5, for instance, uh, there is a grievous sin that's not only being accepted, but celebrated, uh, the sexual sin with a, a man in the church. And so in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul tells the church that they must uh, uh, rebuke this man. They must uh, put him under discipline. And we see them doing that. Uh, we don't know exactly how they did that. But in the second letter to the Corinthians that we have in 2 Corinthians 2, uh, we see that Paul says, you have, you have uh, rebuked this brother and now you must bring him back. So he's not overcome by sorrow. And so we see that uh, tangibly taking place uh, in the local church. But really, um, and I think this is an important point to mention from the very beginning, this idea of church discipline isn't just in those cardinal texts of Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 2, you could even go to Galatians 6, and the spirit of restoration. Really, the idea of discipline is all throughout Scripture. And, and this is important, especially when we start thinking about what it practically looks like and the significance of why we should do church discipline that the entirety of scripture is God making his people holy, of God restoring his people to himself. And so um, I'm reminded in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see the marriage language uh, over and over. So, so Ephesians 5 says that the church is the bride of Christ, and that's uh, continual, continuing the idea of the Old Testament of Israel is the bride of Christ and is in a covenant relationship to God. And so when the people of God, whether individually or, or a group, uh, break the covenant and live in sin, and instead of being holy as God is holy, as Leviticus and First Peter says, instead then become sinful and following after the world and having other gods, the Old Testament and Jeremiah and Hosea especially talks about this as harlotry that has left God and has pursued another. And so when that happens, there must be a drawing back. There must be a confrontation. There must be a disciplining uh, that takes place. And so that's what the essence of church discipline is. The essence of it is, is working to bring back God's people to himself, because what's really at stake here is the holiness of God. Um, how can a God who says there is no sin within him accept sin in the people whom he died to save to be holy as he is holy. Um, so, so when we talk about church discipline, again, we have these texts 
these scriptures that we rightfully go to that give us the step-by-step process. Um, but we would be very naive if we see if we think that it's only relegated to those New Testament texts. This is for the body of Christ in the Old and the New Testament, for Israel and then the church. This is God's redemptive work in bringing his people to himself. And if we fail to, to take part in church discipline, then we have failed uh, to, to not only pursue the holiness of Christ, but, but we have made a reproach on Christ and his glory. So this is a significant topic and one that all of Scripture talks about. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Um, I think it would be fair to say, unashamedly, that you and I and Jimmy are Baptists, and we like Baptist history. Um, can you tell us about the history of church discipline, particularly in Baptist churches, and what are the reasons for modern Baptist churches drifting away from this Baptistic practice? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. So from the historical perspective, and of course, we're kind of generalizing here, so understand that we're generalizing, um, church discipline had a very prevalent role in, um, especially if we're thinking of particular Baptists, um, but even in general Baptists um, here in America as well, that if you were especially part of a Baptist church, other denominations had this as well, but especially Baptist churches, um, it it was not unusual to be put under church discipline. Uh, and, And it was all across the board of the sins that were committed the the significance and the severity of those sins, and then what ended up happening uh, based off of that church discipline. So um, there, this would be kind of a monthly process, sometimes even a weekly process, depending on the church and the congregation. And so, uh, especially here in America, we just see that happening quite a bit. Uh, anything from somebody dancing, you know, the night before to um, marital instances of um, neglect or abuse or different things like that. And so uh, we see that church discipline was practiced with great regularity. Um, and, and I think that there can be positives and negatives to that. Um, I think that there was certainly a sense that uh, church discipline was pursued for a lot of good reasons. I think that there are, there are some instances that we have recorded that that legalism started to take root in that. And that's certainly a warning that we need to be mindful of, of what exactly is the purpose of church discipline. Uh, Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says that that um, church discipline is for the restoration, that we are to restore one another. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed in, in 2 Corinthians 2, how multiple times Paul talks about that we might be moved by the love for God and for the brethren. Um, and so that was that was at the root, I think, for many historical Baptists, though there certainly were times where, where it became more legalistic. As to why things have changed, uh, that's, a, that's a massive question uh, and one that I've pondered quite a bit. And kind of one of the main reasons that, that I have seen that church discipline has, has been lost it's many things we could talk about, but one of those is church membership has taken a lesser role in people's lives. So the more individualistic we have become, for instance, um, not wanting to be accountable to those around us, to even when the Industrial Revolution came uh, in the 1800s, 
um, all of a sudden people were gone. They, they moved from rather uh, rural settings to urban settings. And as they urbanized and more people came centralized into one location, a city, for instance, and many churches were there, there became this sense of, well, if I don't like what's happening in this church, or if they're calling me out on my sin and I want to remain in my sin, well, then I'll just go to another church. And so there was this, this losing of responsibility and accountability uh, just because opportunity came to not just have the one church in town, as we kind of are thinking simplistically here um, in the rural settings, but instead as urbanization grew and people uh, began working uh, in alongside one another and many churches arose, it became, look, where am I, where am I going to best fit in? And so then when we go into the 20th century, for instance, uh, we just see that expanding even more. And we have uh, this idea of not being accountable to others, uh, especially in the 20s, the 30s, and 40s, based off of some liberal theology that was coming out. Um, churches just started to lose this sense of holding one another accountable because they started to compete with one another. And um, make no mistake about it, church discipline always has a cost. There is a cost to this. Uh, this is an important thing to do, but it is a very serious thing to do as well. So we've now talked a little bit about the biblical basis for church discipline and um, perhaps the history, at least uh, generally the history of uh, why Baptist churches have drifted away from this practice. And I think many pastors that maybe listen to this podcast would say, we desire that our church would exercise discipline. I definitely would be one of those. Uh, Jimmy as a host would be one of those. And we see this teaching in scripture, but obviously it's hard to implement it if a church has never done it. So what recommendations would you give to pastors trying to show and implement the importance of church discipline in an established church that has never practiced church discipline? And what challenges do you anticipate they might face trying to do this? Austin, that's a such such a good question. I I would probably want to give a caution first, and the caution would be church discipline must never be used to show your spiritual theological chops. Um, here I kind of think of the, uh, the, the idea of a man who wants to show he's tough, and so he goes out looking for a fight, right? Um, I, can, I can give you every assurance within me that uh, for a pastor— who wants to show that they're just really biblically sound and they just want to show that they really believe the Bible. And so they start looking, you know, like, man, I just can't wait to do this and show everyone we mean what we what we say about being holy. Um, that is going to be a detriment, not only to a pastor and his ministry, that's going to be a massive detriment to the gospel because that's not what church discipline is, is about. Church discipline is about the sense of loving loving? How do I love the people of Christ? And so um, just from a very practical perspective, I would say don't look for it. Uh, if you are seeking to be holy, and if you're seeking to live an exemplary lifestyle as a pastor, and if you are seeking to preach gospel truth and to proclaim gospel truth, especially in established church, you won't have to seek out church discipline. It will find you. It will. I would also say be encouraged that if you do come to a situation of necessitating church discipline, view this as an opportunity, not to show everyone that you mean what you say about holding to scripture, uh, but instead an opportunity for the church to grow. 
Uh, and so the first thing that I would say, if you're a, a pastor in a church that hasn't done church discipline, perhaps ever, at least in a very long time, is if a situation arises, so I'm going to take it from that perspective and then do a preemptive uh, thought. If a situation arises that warrants church discipline first, make sure that that exi- is exactly what's happening. Make sure that you're not making a mountain out of a molehill. And I'm not trying to think lightly on sin, um, but you need to make sure that you know exactly what Jesus has said and lined out in Matthew 18 of what Paul has said. Uh, you need to make sure that you are looking at this biblically. So spend significant time in prayer. Spend significant time reading God's word, making sure that your heart is right, that you're not trying to be vindictive in any sense. I would then, if, again, the situation warrants it, I would then get a couple of deacons um, or, or whatever leaders you have in the church. I'm thinking of maybe a single pastor here uh, who has deacons who are kind of functionally deacons, maybe functionally elders in, in other senses, um, and just bring them into the discussion with just yourself. And, and I would find the most spiritual men that you know, uh, the men that you believe love Jesus, love the Lord, and have high priority of the authority of God's word, and just talk to them about what is the gospel, what does the holiness of God mean, what does the glory of God mean, what does the holiness within God's people mean, and what does it mean to love one another? You can talk about all those things without getting into specifics of church discipline. And, and if you are seeing that there is a desire in their hearts to, yes, we want the glory of God manifested in this church. We want the holiness and the purity, not only of our action, but of our doctrine to be held fast within the confines of this church. Um, then you can present to them, okay, brothers, so God has given us an opportunity to, to lead in this way. And here's the situation going forward. Now, and then, and then you work from that standpoint of you go to scripture with them. You make sure that this isn't just, well, the pastor's got this idea of what he wants to do. You show them that you are constrained by scripture, that they are now accountable to God for what they must do. So the responsibility is not on the pastor, but it's on the people of God who have been placed in a role to lead and love those who might be in sin. For those who are pastoring and are thinking preemptively, you know, well, I don't, I'm not aware of any sin in the church that warrants church discipline. Uh, but at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm prepared for that. Uh, first, I would say, if you aren't familiar with situations in the church that warrant church discipline, pray for eyes to see uh, what's going on in your church. Because, you know, and probably could have said this at the very beginning, really church discipline begins on just the one-on-one interaction. It, we often think of church discipline as the excommunication of people from the church. And certainly there are times that warrant that, but the great majority of church discipline situations do not get to that point. Uh, church discipline, just quite frankly, ought to be within the body of Christ Somebody saying, hey, brother, you, you didn't say that. You said something that wasn't really kind to this person, or, or maybe that wasn't a very charitable thing that you said, or the way that you did this was, you know, brother, have you considered, was that right? Um, and so there's, there's one anothering here, holding one another accountable. And uh, really, that should be happening at all times in the church. We should be holding one another accountable. That's what a church covenant does. That's what an authority of scripture is, is that we are holding one another accountable. That's one... Uh, going to one another in sin and saying, hey, do you see that this is sin in your life? Um, and and then that, if they repent of it, then that's that's the end of church discipline. It doesn't have to arise any further than that. Um, 
But again, if you're a pastor, going back to the the pastors wanting to be preemptive, uh, I would spend significant time teaching and training um, whatever leaders you do have in the church. Uh, first, the importance of church membership. Uh, really, church membership and, and church discipline are hand in hand practical doctrines. And if you lose one, especially if you lose church membership, the significance of that, church discipline is going to be almost impossible to do because um, you'll get into, a, you know, well, why this person and not another person? You know, if we have a role that is far bigger than our actual meeting uh, when we meet on Sunday morning. So I would really focus on holding to church membership. I would focus on teaching the men in your church, whatever leaders you have in the church, teaching them. Uh, the goodness of church discipline, um, that this is a loving endeavor that uh, we want to be held accountable to God and uh, his word, and that this is a good thing for the bride of Christ. And then I would also, um, and this will probably get into, uh, you know, for pastors that are church planting as well, I would get something in writing. Um, So this is a good thing to do if you have a new members class, for instance, uh, or if you have something that if somebody is joining your church, let them know what the church's stance is on church discipline. Uh, it really to best be suited for this work is for everyone in the church, maybe to not know every detail of the practical things of church discipline, but to know this is a real aspect of being part of the body of Christ. And so if you can get a, ahead of that and either have in your church constitution uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church, uh, Mark Devers Church, Nine Marks, uh, they have a constitution and they talk about church discipline in their constitution so that nobody joins the church without this awareness of if you live in unrepentant sin, uh, we will respond to that out of our love for you. And so I would encourage um, really any pastor, as much as they're able, to be teaching the men of their church, the deacons or whoever it might be that's leading, maybe start teaching the body of Christ hey, this is the importance of church discipline, and then start getting it in writing so that everyone in the church is in agreement. This is a significant thing for us to do. It's not just an add-on. It's the glory of God at stake here within this body of believers and uh, and, and to make sure that every new member knows this is something that uh, we're going to hold to. So I would preemptively work as much as you can. I would get things on paper and most significantly don't go about it alone get other brothers in Christ who are in the church, who are spiritual leaders, who love the Lord, get them on board and make sure that your heart's right through prayer and reading scripture. Yeah, thank you for that. And the next question is pretty much the same question, but now applying it to someone who is uh, a pastor planting a church. Uh, You gave one uh, application for a pastor planting a church. Do you have any other thoughts of the challenges they might face or the recommendations you would give to them as they try to implement uh, this important topic of church discipline? Yeah, definitely don't neglect to have it part of your church constitution and covenant. Uh, Again, similar to the last answer, that has to be a significant aspect of saying, if we are a church that is obedient to our Savior and the Lord of this church, Jesus Christ, then we must hold one another accountable. We must do the work of reconciliation in our body of believers. So uh, I would absolutely have that, maybe not the very first thing that you have in your guiding documents, but I would have that as a significant part of that. Uh, I would make sure if you're planting a church with your um, with what other planting people you have, whatever other leaders are with you, 
make sure that you're of one mind with this. Um, there's going to be not a lot of things more detrimental to than leaders who are divided on this. Make sure that you're unified of the significance of it. Make sure that you have the courage. Uh, this is going to take a lot of courage. There's little that's more difficult than having to confront somebody in their sin. Uh, that's a very hard thing. It's hard to be confronted in our own sin, and it's hard to confront others. There's, it takes a lot of courage and trust and faith that the Lord will uh, be faithful to his word. As to the challenges, um, there's certainly unique challenges in every situation of church, whether you're an established church or a church plant, um, you know, for an established church, probably the most significant challenge is going to be, um, why are we being cruel? <laughs> why are we uh, doing a, a witch hunt, you know, that we're just going after the sin of people and then that gets people really scared because we're all aware when we're honest that we all have sin within our hearts. And so the challenges that, that an established church is going to have is to ensure that the people of that church understand, again, that this is love. This is not a, well, we're just going to be the, the police here and we're just going to try to uh, police people's morality. I think that's where there was some problems uh, a couple hundred years ago when, when Baptist churches really did legislate church discipline very strongly, they they tended to be the opposite. They tended to go too far where we have certainly tended to be the opposite of that and not doing it at all. So you, you're going to have to make sure if you're an established church, probably the biggest challenge is making sure that people know when church discipline becomes known. For instance, if somebody's an unrepentant sin, that's kind of what I'm thinking of. And it's brought before the church and it's made abundantly clear. Look, we are not on the prowl just trying to see who's in sin, as though we're just going to be peeping in people's homes or just scrolling through their social medias, just looking for the next person we can throw under the church discipline bus. That's that's not the situation at all. Uh, so make sure to make that very clear. Teach about the goodness of God by holding his people to um, discipline. Hebrews 12, the father disciplines the ones that he loves. Um, and it, when it's completed, it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness, as verse 11 says. So make sure that that's very clear. For a church plant, um, I think that you're probably going to, not too different, um, but a church plant, the the temptation is going to be, how can we bring the most people in, right? You're motivated by growing. And it makes sense. Every church is going to be tempted in this. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense, if we're just looking at this pragmatically, to grow by losing, if that makes sense. We we, we naturally want to affirm people. We naturally want to um, encourage people. We naturally want them to just feel good about themselves as much as possible. We want them to fit in. We want them to just be comfortable. And well, if we're holding to the gospel, uh, they will people will have to become uncomfortable, uh, especially people in sin. And uh, again, I think that for a church planter, church discipline is going to test the faith of a church planter. That if I am unified as a pastor of this new church, uh, with if I'm unified with my other leaders and we have a really small group of people and yet we cannot hide that there is sin happening and it has to be addressed. And look, we might lose a really significant family or we might really lose somebody who's been an essential aspect to the ministry here. Uh, do we believe that God's word will not return void? Do we believe that God will be faithful to his promises? If I have faith in the Lord, then I have to believe that no matter the outcome, this is what we are commanded to do, and we will do it faithfully. We'll do it graciously. We will not do this out of any type of an antagonistic spirit, but we love the person so much that they have to know 
that this sin that's in their life, it has to be addressed. And if they're not willing to do that, then that tells them a lot about their spiritual condition before the Lord. So I think for a church plant, especially, that's a unique challenge of just um, testing faithfulness to the Lord. Is God actually sufficient, even if we lose perhaps even people that we think are, are vital to the ministry that we're doing? This next question, um, I think is interesting. I kind of had the thought of asking you it when I read through um, Benjamin Keach's The Glory of a True Church. Um, how should a church discipline their pastor if they only have one pastor, if the pastor's the one in sin? And how should uh, a church discipline their pastor if they have multiple elders? Yeah, this is a monster question here. Um, and, and one that... I think is going to be, I should have said this at the very beginning, but especially here, this is where it's going to be very important. Every church discipline situation is going to have commonalities, um, holding one another to the standards of the gospel, not the standards that I have determined I should do, but what has God's word said. Uh, but every church discipline situation is also intensely unique. And um, when you go through a church discipline situation, it, it's not going to be the same as the last time you went through one. So there's, there's going to be uniqueness to every situation. And so that's just an, a, a general understanding of church discipline, that every church discipline is a unique situation, but especially when it comes to a leader. So a single pastor, for instance, uh, or, or one of the elders, uh, depending on a church's polity. Um, and, and when you get into a situation like that, understand that not every situation is the same. Uh, there's going to be different types of sin. There's going to be different levels of sin, different lengths of sin, different habits of sin. Um, you know, Hebrews talks about um, being tied to sin or this, um, oh, how does as the author of Hebrews put it, this, uh, we're entangled in sin. Paul talks about it as an enslavement. And so, that certainly is and can be in a pastor's life. And unfortunately, uh, we have seen that uh, in, in recent years of, of pastors who have fallen for, for grievous sins. So the first thing that I would say is, um, is to, if you're a church member uh, and you either suspect or have evidence of uh, significant sin in your pastor's life, um, I believe it's James says that if it's an elder, a charge is being made against an elder, there must be multiple witnesses, right? So this is not just uh, one person coming at the pastor saying, well, I don't like the way you talk to my cousin Susie on the phone. Uh, well, that's, that's probably not going to warrant church discipline unless there's been habits, right? And then somebody else says, actually, I was on the phone another time and the pastor talked to me that way. And and over, there's multiple people saying this. So, so first off, it has to be, if it's a pastor or an elder, there has to be a sense of this is something that's warranted because multiple people are saying, yes, I can affirm that this is a problem in this pastor's life. Uh, I would really kind of go simply back to what I mentioned for a single pastor in an established church of the deacons or whoever are the spiritual leaders in that church. Uh, that those people have to take a step and this place at this point and say, what is scripture said and how do we enact that to our pastor? Um, again, depending on the, the, the gravity of the sin, um, the public nature of the sin, I think that also is a significant thing. Um, 
whatever spiritual leaders are in the church then have to say, uh, how do we seek to restore our pastor? So there are going to be times, for instance, um, where a pastor uh, will be under church discipline that the rest of the church doesn't know. And that that's okay. That's not the worst thing in the world. And that's not actually a significant problem if the right steps have been taken, if a pastor has been not only confronted of his sin, but has then been restored and has been then worked through a process of how does what does it look like to be holy and what does it look like to turn from whatever sin has uh, been entangling him. Uh, but again, there are other sins uh, that depending on the nature of the sin or again, the uh, public nature of the sin that if that if there has been um, coming against Christ, this is people inside the church, people outside of the church have seen this is not becoming of a Christ follower, uh, then there has to be a public response to that. And so uh, the deacons have to be the one that take uh, the lead in here and whether uh, deacons or whatever spiritual leaders are in the church besides the single pastor are able to do that amongst themselves or whether they need to use a sister church to help them or perhaps an association that they're a part of that has good godly leaders. Um, I, I would just say here, Whatever you're doing, if you're in this situation, make sure that it, that your actions, your words, and your intentions are marked by grace. Um, again, that's for church discipline. This is an act of love. It's an act of grace. It's an act of restoration. And so I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all here. I think that every situation is going to warrant its own unique uh, response. And I think that the Holy Spirit leads and guides churches in that process. I think it's a little bit easier for the elders. Uh, if so, if you have a plurality of elders, um, the elders are the one who respond to this. And uh, again, you kind of have the same uh, same process of depending on the gravity of the sin, the public nature of the sin. Um, that's going to, I think, warrant a response of whether it's become public uh, or whether it's something that uh, is confined and then worked out and responded to. Uh, in the confines of the pastor, the elders, and maybe a counselor, whoever it might be that's helping restore um, the pastor in that in that setting. So again, I would just I would just caution, give great caution. Pastors are not above uh, sinning, right? So we know that. Uh, unfortunately, we have many pastors as of late who are not above reproach, uh, that they're commanded to be uh, from first Timothy three and Titus one, um, but be very gracious. Um, be very uh, bold, yes, um, but make sure that what you're doing is biblical and it's not out of a sense of gotcha. It's not out of a sense of getting back at someone. It's solely for how can I, again, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, how can I help restore uh, this man in whatever sin that has entangled him thus far? So it, it's a weighty topic and uh, I'm, I'm sure that Others might have different opinions. If you get on Twitter, you will see a lot of different people have different responses to pastors or elders or public theologians in sin. Um, but I think we just have to be very gracious. Um, but we also have to be bold with whatever the, the situation warrants. Yeah, so we've been talking a lot about church discipline now and how it applies to um, different situations. Um, and I think you've kind of alluded to this, but now you'll have a more. Uh, opportune uh, chance to give a full explanation. Why do you think most churches do not practice church discipline today? 
And what are the dangers of not exercising discipline in the local church? Yeah, um, I think there could probably be a lot of reasons church churches don't do this. And so um, I'll just put it, I guess, in the negative. Uh, I know my own heart. And so I'm a pastor of, of a local church. And I want as many people to come to church and hear the gospel as possible. That's a desire of my heart. And I think that's a desire in, in most pastors, um, in most churches. They want people to come. Uh, and that's a good thing. We should want people to come to church. We should want to have the greatest uh, reception to hear the gospel as much as possible. The problem is when that desire supersedes our desire to be faithful to Scripture. And so when we're more interested in giving what we think people want to hear rather than telling them what they must hear. And so I think probably for a lot of churches, um, there could be ignorance of just not really knowing that this is in Scripture. Um, that has been something that I've seen in, in some churches is that there's just not really an understanding that this is part of the Bible or that it's something that continues, right? So maybe that's for the first century or that's just in, in Jesus and Paul's day. But, but to see that that's actually a, a mark, as, uh, as Mark Dever would say, that's actually a marker, a distinctive of a healthy church. That's something that a biblically faithful church it doesn't just add on when they get really holy, but this is a standard of what it means to be a faithful church in Jesus Christ. And so I think there can be ignorance in that. I think there are times where there are, there's willful disobedience, uh, that the cost is too great. Um, and here I'm thinking of Bonhoeffer, of, you know, he counted the cost and um, of being faithful to the Lord. And he, he said, it's not, it doesn't cost too much. If I can be given Christ, it could cost my entire life, but I'm going to serve the Lord. Well, that's that's the mentality a pastor has to have with church discipline. I have to be willing to lose my clout in the church, to lose my influence among the deacons, to lose even this position in the church itself, not by me being a jerk and going after sin, but if I am faithful to God's word and if I am willing to stand upon the the absolute statements of what a church must look like, if, if the Lord removes me from this church by the sin of the people in the church, then so be it. That's a high price to pay that some have paid and some listeners might even uh, pay in the future. But, but if that's what Christ has called us to do, then we must be able and willing to do that. I, I think that some have counted that cost and it's too much. It's much easier to do the proverbial sweeping under the rug with sin uh, to say, oh, well, they didn't mean it or whatever it might be. Or maybe even sounding good of, well, we don't want to be the uh, the morality police or something like that, or the doctrinal police. Um, so I think that wanting to have people, uh, wanting to affirm people and make people comfortable. Again, there can be a good desire to have people gathering and being a part of the church. But when that supersedes our desire to be faithful to Scripture, then, then that becomes a significant problem. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why many folks uh, don't, many churches don't have that. Uh, another reason, I think, is because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, church membership has taken such a hit. Um, so many, especially of our Southern Baptist churches, as a Southern Baptist, you know, I can talk about ourselves in this case. Uh, our membership roles are a joke. It's just an absolute joke. We have membership roles that are three, four, five times uh, how many people are actually gathered on Sunday mornings. And so, well, when you have this impossible well, who's even part of the church? And 
We've got half of the town that's a member of our church, and we know that they're doing things that they ought not to do. Well, then how do you know who to enact church discipline on? And even how could I? If I'm supposed to be pastoring 900 people, but there's only 100 people that I even know about, uh, how on earth can I shepherd the souls of the other 800 that aren't there? And so um, I'm not saying this is an easy task, but as a church pastor, especially of an established church who maybe has roles that are exorbitant beyond the actual literal practical church, you have to clean up the church roles. You have to find out, kind of thinking of a, the bumpers on a bowling alley, who who is in our lane, who who is in our practical church, who is in our local church. And once you've designated that, uh, and that's another conversation about how you do that and how do we do that with grace and love and kindness and sweetness. Uh, once you can designate this is who we are now, how do we maintain the holiness within this body of Christ? Because if we don't even know who the body of Christ is, because there's this you know ubiquitous understanding, nebulous of who even knows who's a part of our, our, our church, um, then you can't really enact church discipline very well. So I think uh, a fear of man um, uh, not understanding what the Bible actually says, not even an understanding who's even a part of the church, all of these things can take root of why church discipline isn't done and, uh, and, and why we have failed to do it so many ways. And, uh, I'm trying to remember the certain percentage um, of a LifeWay study that came out um, not too long ago. I think it was back in 2018. Uh, that said somewhere around 75 to 80 percent, I think, uh, were pastors that in the past five years or 10 years or something along those lines uh, hadn't been a part or seen church discipline uh, happen. Uh, I don't think that's because the morality of our churches has improved that greatly. I think it's because we either don't know what the Bible says, we're afraid to follow what the Bible says, or we have a lot of obstacles that are barring us from obeying uh, God's word and and we need to be very serious about how to uh, to enact those things. So we've talked about the dangers and um, perhaps the contributing factors as to why a church does not exercise discipline. But what are the blessings or advantages of a church exercising discipline? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and I didn't really give the dangers uh that I could have, but let me give the dangers because it's the opposite with the blessings. You know, with the dangers, if you don't do or enact church discipline, you're going to have strife in the church. You're going to have disunity. Uh, you are going to have this uncertainty of who are we and where are we going as a church. Um, you're going to lose your identity. So one of the most significant things for a church is to have an identity in Jesus Christ. And so when you don't have church discipline and when there's sin that's pervasively accepted or allowed in the church, uh, then you're losing your identity in Christ. When you lose your identity, you, you lose your unity. That's significant. And so let's turn that on its head. What are then the blessings then when you enact church discipline? Will you have identity in Christ? Or at least you're more likely to have an identity in Christ because you're saying it's not about what I want. It's not about the things that I think are good or right because nobody wants to enact church discipline when sin is first presented. I mean, the first thing we want to do is say, I just don't want to deal with that. That's too hard. That's going to cost too much. Uh, but when we start looking at it as an opportunity to love the brethren, when we look at it as a way to actually bring glory to God and his own holiness, 
then we start to have unity in the word of God and unity in the glory of God and unified in our vision and our purpose of what the local church is all about. So just quite simply, one of the blessings about having church discipline is the church is unified. And that seems so counterintuitive because when we think of church discipline, especially for those who have never been a part of church discipline in any capacity, they see it as the the fault line or the crack in, in the concrete that's separating and fracturing when it's the exact opposite. It actually it does the opposite of that when it, it brings us together, it glues us together, and it affirms that, yes, we are serious about what we say about God's word, that we are going to follow the things that are easy and the things that are really hard. And when we do that, we're unified together, not only in our identity in Christ, but we're unified in our purpose. And when you're unified in your purpose, um, goodness, there's nothing that God can't do through a local church. And it doesn't matter the size. Uh, if you have 50 people or 500 people, if you are unified together saying it does not matter um, what the world says about us or how people look at us or all of these other things, if we're unified in Christ, if our consciences are clean that we have been faithful to the word of God, then, then God can do anything through that church. And I, I firmly believe that. Let me also say this. Um, go, going back to the, the letters to the church at Corinth uh, from 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul gives a really, really harsh declaration that the man who's in sin must be disciplined. And, and then when we get to 2 Corinthians 2, there's this sense of him saying, look, you enacted a very harsh punishment. And he's not saying that that was wrong, but he is saying, welcome this person back because he has been brought to such great sorrow. And so this seemingly what we're seeing here is an excommunication of this man that looked because of this man's sin, he was rebuked harshly and likely was removed from the church. Of We don't believe this man is a believer, but then he was brought to a place of repentance. He was brought to a place either immediately following, or maybe there was time after, we don't really know. But at some point, that man then was brought to repentance, and he was received back into the body of Christ. And, and Paul says, this is the love of God that is doing all of these things. So one of the blessings of church discipline is not a momentary uh, affirmation of, okay, we did what was good, and now everybody has warm, fuzzy feelings. It might not be an immediate affirmation but what could it look like down the road for a couple of different things? When a person who has been disciplined and maybe they left of their own volition, or maybe the church has said, you are not a, we are not seeing consistent uh, attributes of Christ within you. So we have no certainty that you are in Christ. Uh, what could God do in that person's life? Maybe that could be a wake up call. And here I'm thinking, especially of Austin, you probably have folks in your church. Many of our churches, they've grown up in the church. They've always been a part of the church. And so they've always had this sense of being in Christ. And maybe they are in Christ, but maybe they're not. Maybe they've just always been part of the church. And so when this, when church discipline enters somebody's life, um, even if they don't receive it right away well, they are forced to reconcile, wait a second, I've always thought that I'm in Christ. I went to vacation Bible school. I went to Sunday school. I did all of these things. I've, I've done all of these things for Christ. And yet, they're saying that my life is not consistent with Christ. God can use that to really wake up somebody. God can use that uh, church discipline to, to really form a desire within the body of Christ to want to be obedient to the Lord. 
um, again, I think it's in James or possibly Hebrews that talks about uh, if an elder is in sin, that there should, maybe it's in one of the Timothys, I'm, I'm not remembering, but to watch out so that you don't fall into that same sin. And so when church discipline isn't, when we're not sweeping sin under the rug, the rest of the church is saying, okay, this is what happens when, if I were to sin, if I engage in unrepentant sin. And so, yes, there is a sense of fear, but not a fear of being caught, a fear of being disobedient to God a fear of not being holy to the one who has given us his righteousness. And so a greater desire to pursue Christ, a greater desire to be in Christ. Again, that's unity in the body of Christ, not around a locality of, well, we're just here together, but we are unified and joined together. And we want to be righteous together in Christ because sin cannot continue. Romans 6, might we sin so that grace abounds? May it never be. Uh, we must pursue godliness. And so I think that that's, that is a blessing. And it's often an unexpected blessing of church discipline. You have people who really get into the word of God to make sure that they know, is this actually biblical? And if it is, then man, we want to be obedient to God's word as much as possible, regardless of whether a person returns, uh, if they're excommunicated or not. So it, it maintains righteousness. It helps believers in the church pursue godliness and it gives unity through identity in Christ. Amen. Amen. Do you have any uh, recommendations of resources or final encouragements as pertain to this topic before we finish this discussion? Yeah, sure. Uh, as far as some recommendations, uh, there's a couple of, of good resources for those who are interested in kind of the historical aspects of uh, church discipline. And so I presented a paper on church discipline at the Founders Midwest Conference. And the books that I used that were so helpful for me was uh, Democratic Religion by Greg Wills. Um, it's a, uh, I say this with all uh, being as gentle as I can and kindly as I can. It's a little bit of a dry read because a lot of it is just the notes from these churches uh, from hundreds of years ago. Uh, here, especially particular Baptist churches and how they enacted church discipline. So it's kind of like you're reading a lot of church business meeting notes, and that can get a little dry, but it really helps you understand uh, what they were focused on and, and why they focused on that. Um, I would also give as a pretty good, what is it? Um, well, it's not a historical one, but uh, John Calvin's Institutes is a good resource. He, he talks about church discipline in there uh, that I would, I would turn to that as well. Um, something that I have used multiple times is uh, Nine Marks for a Healthy Church. Uh, that's kind of a basic starting point because uh, it talks about what are the necessary marks and distinctives of a healthy church. And I think Dever does quite well with that. Uh, it talks about church discipline. In the Nine Marks series, they also have a book by Jonathan Lehman, Church Discipline. Those are just kind of standard introductory type of uh, books. And then books that have been really helpful for me personally, and this is especially because of my um, interest in biblical counseling, is Jay Adams has written a couple of books that really talks about these things, uh, especially with counseling and how counseling must be a part of church discipline and seeking to restore people. So the first of that is Handbook of Church Discipline by Jay Adams, uh, Handbook of Church Discipline. And then the second one is Ready to Restore, A Layman's Guide to Christian Counseling. 
especially with church discipline in mind. So those have been books that have been helpful for me. Um, Mark Dever's book uh, on polity is a, is a very good book, a very thick book, but that talks quite a bit about church discipline. Um, again, biblical counseling uh, in that realm, biblical counseling in the church by Bob Kellerman and Kevin Carson, uh, that talks about church discipline and really how do we work in the church practically through counseling, because that has to be a significant part of restoring people in the church. So those would be some resources. Uh, those would be kind of more introductory, uh, either historically or practically. But I think that that can be a good help if especially somebody's trying to figure out what would this look like in my local church. As far as just any final encouragements, um, I think, you know, friends, I would say this. Trust that the Lord will not fail those who are faithful to him. Um, that's true in preaching. Uh, if you preach with regularity, there are things that you have had to say that you know are hard for people to hear, that hard for you to hear. Um, but God is faithful to his word. Um, if God is faithful to his word in expository preaching, if he's faithful to his word in all of the things that we are called to do in the church, then he will be faithful to his word in church discipline. Uh, don't go looking for a fight, as I said kind of at the beginning. Um, if you are seeking to be faithful, uh, this will be a part of your leading experience. And I also will say this, um, this is going to be something that I think will really test the faith of a lot of pastors. Um, it can be easy to do other pastoral aspects. It can be easy to visit the widows, praise the Lord, let's do that. It can be easy to you know, teach a Sunday school class or preach on Sunday morning or lead a doctrinal seminar or something of that nature. Uh, there is a little glory that the world will see of doing church discipline. It's not going to get you on any stage. It won't get you a book deal. It won't get you more followers on social media. It likely won't give you that instantaneous affirmation of uh, I'm doing the good things that I ought to do. Um, the only affirmation that comes from church discipline, at least initially, will likely be, I have been faithful to God's word. I have been faithful to my creator and my savior. And whatever the outcome is, I have to leave that to him. And that has to be enough. That has to be enough. Um, if it's out of a sense of glory or a sense of impressing others, then we're going to miss the mark. And so my, my final encouragement would be, go forward with the confidence of God's word and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be gentle, be kind, be loving, be understanding. Uh, do not grow weary of doing good, um, but also do good and do it faithfully and do it boldly and trust that the Lord will be faithful to his promises. Amen. Jeremiah, I am certain that this uh, episode is going to be resourceful for all who will listen. So thank you so much for taking your time today to discuss this very important topic, brother. Well, thank you so much for having me and may the Lord bless us as we seek to be faithful to him in the easy and the difficult aspects of ministry. Amen. And to our listeners, we want to wish you grace and peace. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.